right. So last week, Ryan, who's sick now, right? Maybe this is why. He preached on uh, Psalm 18, uh, which is very long, the fourth longest of the Psalms by word count, if you go that way. It's 50 verses. Uh, and it covered a whole lot of themes, degree of difficulty very high. This week, our, our, our psalm is on the other extreme. It is actually the fourth shortest of all the psalms by word count, and it focuses on one simple theme, and it's only three verses long, right? So pretty short. Um, and so head over to Psalm 133. That's where we're going to be this morning and a few other places later, but start, so camp out there. Uh, and as you do, let me go ahead and tell you that the, the single theme, right, which I already told you, right? What, what is it? You know what it is? Unity. Well done. Okay, so it's unity. Uh, when Laura and I were students at Texas A&M, I remember um, we, we experienced 9-11. That's where we were in college when that happened. I can remember after that, shortly after that, just the national unity. Those of you that are old enough to remember this, like this American unity was insane at the time uh, after that. We, we took a, one evening or went to a football stadium of 80,000 people, and depending upon what level you were on, they handed you a t-shirt walking in, red, white, and blue, and it just made this uh, amazing imagery of, of American unity uh, together there. And it was impressive because unity is so rare, it's so fleeting, we, we know that, right? It wasn't, what, 20 years ago that this was going on. Now, you don't have to live long in this world either to know that, that unity is desired by just about everybody, every single group, whether we're talking about a nation or a political party or a, a sports team or a school or a study group or a yoga class, everybody wants to have this unity. And yet, it is one of the most difficult of goals to be achieved. And still, I, I don't believe we, we should accept disunity in the church just because it's difficult. And a psalm like we'll, we'll read here in a moment begs us to ask some questions here. How are we seeking unity with other Christians, right, broadly in the culture that we live among? And where are we as brothers and sisters as Manhattan Presbyterian Church today? Do, do we have unity? Do we desire unity? Are we willing to work to maintain unity? In other words, how, how can we flourish, or rather, how can we nourish unity in Christ so that we can flourish as a united church for the glory of our absolutely glorious God? How, how can we do that? Do you desire that? And so let's, let's go to God's Word. And real quick, before we do read it, uh, King David is the author here. Uh, that's who it is. It is, uh, and this is considered a wisdom psalm. We keep talking about categories. That's what this is. It's a, a wisdom psalm that teaches in a really weird way because it, it, it just makes this observation and, and then it celebrates that observation and that's the way uh, of teaching. And you'd be shocked how many things in your life actually teach in the same way. Uh, but anyway, let's read Psalm 133 beginning in verse 1. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, and there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The grass withers, the flower fades, let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we are mostly here Americans, and that means that we are individualistic in our way of life. We confess we don't do community well, and we are selfish, and we are quick to judge others, and we want unity, but 
only on our own terms. Holy Spirit, would you soften the hearts of your people gathered here today? Would you give us a great love for you? Would you submit us under your word? Would you break the bonds of bitterness that restrains our love for each other? Would you bring about conviction and confession where we have not sought unity, where we have only loved ourselves? Would you enlighten our minds to hear your word, and will you refresh our love for each other for the glory of your name and the joy of our hearts? Lord, we want to be wonderfully unified. That's what we desire. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're looking at these first three verses, right, only three verses rather, if you're looking at these, you're, you're probably thinking verse one, that's pretty self-explanatory, right? Uh, and in fact, some of you might have it, the Reformation Study Bible, I sometimes will look in the Study Bible just to see some of the stuff. Uh, and, and here's what uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul had to say of this verse. This verse praises unity. Well, yeah. Um, Right? Uh, Dr. Sproul was an amazing theologian, but I don't know that I needed him to know that much about this verse, right? Most of us could have gotten there on our own. Uh, on the other hand, verses 2 and 3 here, they're a little, they're a lot weird. They just are. Uh, it's not likely you just kind of read through and like, oh, that makes sense. Let's go on. Uh, right? And so we're going to dig into all three of these because there's more in verse 1 than you realize and, and to try to bring some light to the understanding of the other two verses here uh, as we just expound the scripture. So verse 1, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Uh, right? You see that brothers dwelling in unity is referred to as two things there, two significant words, good and pleasant. Good is what ought to be. Good is what God requires of us. Pleasant is what we delight in. You, you know in life, right, some things are good for us, but they're not pleasant to us, like uh, medical procedures, like uh, eating certain vegetables, beets for instance, right, not so pleasurable, um, like going jogging for the first time in a long time. If you've done that, right, you know it's good for you, but it is not pleasant, um, you also know that there are some things that are pleasant to us but not good for us, right? Like eating ice cream every night for dinner. That would be pleasant, at least for a while, but it's not good for you. Like, like nicotine, like, like some sin in the short term seems pleasant, right? Uh, and, 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 and we begin to see those two things. Now, this is not the only place in the scriptures that we see these two words tied together, right? Uh, good and pleasant. In Psalm 135.3, which if you have paper Bible, you can see it right next to you. It's right next to it on the page. Um, says this, praise the Lord for the Lord is good. Sing to his name for it is pleasant. To, to praise God is both good and pleasant. And, and here we learn that, that unity among brothers is also both good and pleasant. And so yes, seeking unity for us as God's people is an obligation but it is also a pleasant delight for us. In other words, we desire unity. You, you know this by experience, right? Uh, uh, you know it, right? You felt the weight in your life, the weight on your shoulders when, when you have lived in disunity from your spouse, from friend, from, from family, from church family, and, and so on. And, and you know how much more joyful life is when you are dwelling in unity with the, with the same, right? Your spouse, your friend, your family, your church family. You, you know the different experience. Now, somewhere in the back of your head is that nagging question, right? What, what do we make of this term brothers here? Is this only speaking of literal biological brothers and, and that's it? Uh, 
it's certainly true that unity among literal biological brothers is good and pleasant. I, I'm the, the youngest of three boys growing up in my family, and at times we, we absolutely dwelled in animosity, right, towards each other. We, we resented each other's very presence in the room at times. We would use sticks and, and fists at times to half-heartedly try to end each other's existence uh, and then be best friends the next day. At other times, right, we, we dwelled in unity, at peace with each other, and those are the most pleasant of memories. As a parent now, I, I know how good and pleasant it is when I see my own children dwelling in unity in a way that I never even considered whether my parents thought about it, but it's, it's true. However, Psalm 133 is, is not limited to literal brothers or even a single family. And we know this for a few reasons, one of which is that this term brothers throughout the, uh, the Old Testament is used often for various tribes. We also know that brothers in the New Testament becomes this enduring uh, form of greeting, right? Salutation for, for Christians to greet each other with. We know this because King David, the author of this psalm, referred to his own best friend, Jonathan, as his brother. When, when he's lamenting his death in, in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And, and don't forget that, that this is a psalm of ascent. Did, did you see that? If you look back at the very beginning, the, a song of ascent of David, it's in the title. You see a, a psalm of ascent is a category. There's a, a number of them there, I think 12. Um, but a psalm of ascent was, was corporately sung by Jewish pilgrims as they walked uphill towards Jerusalem, as they their, made their way to the, the, the temple even. In, in other words, Psalm 133 is about unity among all of God's people. Outside of families, God's people, as, as we are united together, men, women, and children. And, and so unity among God's people is good, and it's pleasant. In these next two verses, David uses two of the weirdest similes you're ever going to see, right, to express the joy of God's people dwelling together in unity. The, the first one is that the, the, the joy of unity among God's people, look at it, is, is, is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Now, Israel is very arid climate. It's dry, right? Um, and it, they often use just common oil, it, not the way we do. We, what, lotion's probably the closest thing we use in this way. Uh, but just to moisten their skin. They'd put it on their, on their body all over the place just to keep their skin from getting dry and, and cracking. Uh, but it was different when, when we see what we're using here, right? This is precious oil, and this is a different type of oil that, that is being used to anoint, to, to pour on the heads of, of kings and, and priests during a, a anointing ceremonies, ordination, if you will. This was a, a high-quality olive oil, kind of like you probably have in your kitchen, only it was mixed with four spices, myrrh, cinnamon, that's the one you recognize, cane, and, and cassia. Now, the funny thing is you, you can actually buy anointing oil on Amazon right now. It could be at your house on Tuesday. You can have your very own anointing oil, $26. That's all it costs. Um, but there is quite a controversy on doing that. And if you go and you can read the reviews, it's kind of funny, uh, kind of funny. Uh, anyway, because in Exodus 30:32, 30, it forbids making and using anointing oil for yourself, and, and, and so you can imagine the people trying to sell this are, eh, it's funny on some level. Uh, anyway, the point here is that just as anointing oil poured on the head of, of the high priest Aaron would, would flow down, right? It's poured here, it flows down onto his beard, it ends up on the, on the collar of his robe, on his clothing, 
And just like that, unity is a blessing that comes from above, comes from God, and it flows downward. It flows downward to all of God's people. Furthermore, anointing was a way of setting someone apart for a distinct purpose, right? Aaron was set apart when when he was anointed to serve as the high priest uh, over over the people. David was set apart when he was anointed as the king of Israel. Elisha was set apart as he was appointed as a prophet of the Lord. All those, there was oil used in anointing them, right? Here we see that, that unity is like an anointing for God's people. It's, it's like that. It sets us apart from the world around us, from the people around us, for the purpose of being God's people. It sets us apart for that. Now, now Jesus, our Lord, a thousand years later in John 13, 35, it declares, will declare, did declare, uh, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. You always leave that hanging. What's it going to be? And his answer is, if you have love for one another. That's how the world is going to know that you are the disciples of Christ. Unity and love for each other is a a way that God sets us apart as his people. Now, in in verse 3, there's another weird simile. Take a look at it again. Uh, Unity among brothers is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Now, again, it's this image of a liquid that's going from a high place to a low place, uh, flowing downwards. In, in this case, the liquid is, is Mountain Dew, um, right? And if you weren't listening and you're under the age of like 15, you probably just perked up a little bit, right? We're not talking Baja Blast here. Uh, dew in the sense of the water droplets that form in the morning. And, and, and when it talks about Hermon, right, this is Mount Hermon. This is this this massive snow-capped mountain over 9,000 feet tall. It's in the northern part of, uh, of Israel. You've probably seen pictures of it before. Uh, where on the other hand, Mount Zion is where Jerusalem is. It's where the temple is, uh, which, if we're honest, Zion's more like a big hill. It probably doesn't deserve the term mountain. Um, but these two mountains are, you know, 100 miles apart from each other. That's roughly here to Kansas City, if you want to kind of put that in some sort of perspective. Which means that the dew of Mount Hermon was never, has never actually fallen onto Mount Zion. That's not the way this would work. But, but the image here, the image is what's important because if the dew of Hermon did fall on this dusty, dry Mount Zion, it, it would be an incredibly joyful, happy situation. It would bring life to plants and animals in, in ways that just aren't there. And the point of this simile is that the joy of of unity among God's people, again, is a gift of God from above, and it flows downwards to all of God's people. It it benefits the strong and the weak, the high and the lowly, the rich and the poor. All are blessed by the unity of God's people. And so then, Psalm 133 is not the only place that we we see this call for unity among God's people. Throughout the, the New Testament, we, we see that God desires this for his people, that we be united to each other uh, as we are united to Christ in faith. Um, you, you see, Christian unity flourishes and, and thrives in the church. It does. And, and no, I'm, I'm not delirious when I say that. I, I know it's not always perfect. I, I know that nationally Sunday morning is one of the most divided hours of the week, and, and these kind of things absolutely broke my, break my heart. I, I know that, but let me put it this way. Unity 
should flourish in the church. Unity can flourish in the church. And, and listen, as a local church, we are united very well right now. We, we really are. Uh, I, I know it's not perfect. I know we can do better, and, and God willing, we will. But, but let us also be thankful to the Lord for, for granting us the unity we have in the midst of so many temptations to divide over the past 18 months. Right? We only know our own experience, but man, it, is, it has been a tool of the devil to divide churches nationally right now. And, and we are standing united as a congregation. Praise the Lord for that. And so then I, I want to quickly give you five ways that we as Christians are united. And, and, and also they're going to encourage us, I hope, towards, towards understanding our, our unifiedness in Christ. First, first, we're united in Christ. That's the basis of it all. Right? Galatians 3, 27 through 29. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no, no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Paul is here taking down identities, right? Taking them down, not eliminating, taking them down. Not, not that those identities don't, or those distinctions rather, don't exist. Are, are, are there Jews and Gentiles? Was he, was he oblivious to the fact that that was a category existed? Uh, of course there are, right? There were, there is. But, but unity in Christ overrules that distinction. Are, are there two genders? Absolutely. But, but that shouldn't create disunity or, or distrust between men and women, for we are united together in Christ. And it's right to add to this list any other personal identifications or identities that people want to take on, right? There, or, or distinctions either. There, there, there's neither black nor white nor Hispanic nor Asian, for in Christ we are one. There is neither rich nor poor, for we are united in Christ. There is neither mask wearers or anti-mask wearers, right? Uh, for in Christ we are one, and so on and so on. And whatever contemporary issues you want to throw at that, it, it continues to be true. We are united in Christ. If I need to remind you of anything, it's this, that your primary identity is, is that of Christian. Do not forget that. Secondly, we are united in faith. We are united because of our common belief in Jesus. Sure, there's many different churches in, in this town with different beliefs, uh, different views on baptism, different understandings of how the Holy Spirit works today, but, but, but there is a basic unity as, as fellow Protestants that we can experience. I, I belong to this group of, of um, it, it's evangelical pastors in town, and, and while if I'm honest, sometimes I'm so annoyed to hear the way they're doing things. I, I, you know what I mean? Ways of worship and stuff. That's, that's just the way I'll respond sometimes, the way they do ministry. At the same time, I'm incredibly thankful that we have this basic point of unity. I'm so in, incredibly thankful that we can come together and pray for this city, pray for people to come to faith, pray for the gospel to work powerfully in the place where we all live and minister. And, and, and so we have this unity, right? Um, that, that Christ is the only way to salvation, that the Bible is his word, and we can unite around those things. And the Trinity, a few other things, right? Uh, the, the unity of faith is, is even stronger within Manhattan Prez, where, where we are overwhelmingly reformed and confessional as a, a body of believers. I, I also hope that we are, we are gracious to those who have joined this community but are not reformed and confessional, that are, you know, at any stage in their, their walk with the Lord. Uh, it's not necessary for membership, but, but that's a, a common unity that we have here. Uh, it, it's not necessary for membership to be reformed is what I'm saying. Uh, third, we are united in purpose. We exist to glorify God. How's that in? 
We exist to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We're united in that. That's our purpose. Many of you are familiar with 1 Corinthians 10, 31, which says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Are you also familiar with the context of that passage? It's about these different views, right, on whether we should eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols, right, because idols aren't real, so they're not really sacrificed to idols. Uh, and it becomes this confusing thing they're trying to figure out, and Paul is, you know, teaching how to handle this in a way that is loving to others and, and, and for the sake of unity. And then he ties uh, that way of loving others, of graciously seeking unity to, to glorifying God. Let this be one of those verses that can encourage us, right? So you can consider Paul's words here. When you're engaging fellow Christians who do have different views, ask, how how do I glorify God in this interaction? Not by dismissing whatever they say, but but there's a way to to do so that glorifies God. Remember that. Uh, The fourth way we are united is in our mission. You... As a Christian, as part of God's body, have a mission. We all do. And I'm not just talking pastors and missionaries and campus ministers. All of us, including you, have a common mission, right? Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We have that. You have that. Trimper Longman here points out, peaceful unity means the corporate body can reach common goals with less stress. If individuals cooperate, then their efforts are are multiplied. We know that. Our our, our passage here spoke of the oil of of Aaron's head, right? The the high priest. On his beard and on his clothing and and his ordination. Uh, I didn't mention it earlier, but in in Exodus uh, 30, 38, uh, where Moses is speaking of this oil, he, he, he refers to it as perfume in some translations. Uh, the idea being, with all those spices mixed in, it's such a high quality, quantity, you're going to smell it. It's going to be fragrant, right? It filled the air. While he was anointed, every place he went, uh, it was upon him, and it was a fragrance that anyone would have been able to smell. Second Corinthians 2.15 says, that, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We are the aroma of Christ. In the same way, when we as a church are living at peace and unified with each other, we are this beacon of hope, or we point to Jesus, who is the beacon of hope to this messed up world. The, the delightful, delightful aroma of Christ and, and the gospel goes where we go unified. Sadly, the, the opposite is also true. Bitter, disunified, angry, raging people are a foul stench to the message of the gospel. When Jesus prayed for us, you know, John 17, it's called the high priestly prayer. When Jesus prays for us, his disciples, and he specifies, right, not for the world, but for you, his disciples, uh, he prayed that we would be one, just as he and the Father are one. And he gave the reason uh, for that, that unity. He said, so that the world would know, or the world may know, that God sent me. Your unity is going to, going to communicate that. When we are united and at peace with each other, we display the power of the gospel. If we can have true unity in this covenant community, we will be better positioned, more energized to to love each other well and to love our neighbors well to the glory of God. Our neighbors, right, in in Manhattan and Fort Riley and, and on campus and everywhere else we live should be able to look at us and see unity, not uniformity, 
because we're all different, and, and that's a good thing, but, but unity, right? In, in this covenant community, a, a common faith in Christ should make us truly love each other. And so how about it, church? Think we can improve in this? Can we get better at this? Can we grow in this? Can we become an amazing demonstration of the unifying grace of God in the gospel? And again, I do see this among us, overwhelmingly so, and I rejoice in that, but but I also long to see it more. I long to see it completely. And so let us rest in the grace of God, but work for the unity of Christ's church. Now, the last way we are united is, is as a church, and these things kind of overflow a bit, but I, I mean that in the sense of this covenant community. Uh, turn over to Ephesians 4, if you've got a, a Bible in front of you real quick. Uh, just the very beginning, Ephesians 4, chapter or verse 1. Uh, there, Paul begins by saying this, He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. See that there in verse 3. He tells you, he tells us, to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Right? Right? It's a command. It's telling us to do something, not just this is the way it is. It's something must be pursued here. Unity is is sought after. It doesn't just grow like an oak tree that you just throw an acorn and, you know, 60 years later there's an oak tree. Unity is more like a farmer's field, right? It must be planted and intended to. So how do we do that? Well, what does eagerness to maintain the unity look like? and, and the answer is there in verse 2. We actually already read it. We, we engage others with humility. We be gentle with fellow believers. We be patient with brothers and sisters in Christ. We, we bear with one another in love. That is a, a, a gracious way of living with someone, not, not expecting perfection. Assume the best in any way they communicate they, to you, right? Not, not the worst, Encouragement towards unity, again, is, is all over the Scripture. And let me just list a, a few more here. Philippians 2, and you don't have to follow there. I'm just going to read them, uh, 1 through 3. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. That's the call of of God through the Apostle Paul to us. Uh, Paul again says to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 10.1, Let there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And he says this because they're arguing with each other. Because some are are saying, and Paul or uh, Ryan hinted at this in his prayer, right? Some are saying, you know what, I, I follow Paul, that's my guy. And others are saying, no, well, I follow Apollos, and he's the best. And others are saying, I follow Caiaphas, or, uh, yeah, Caiaphas. And in other words, they're they're following men. These are the people that they're throwing out. And his point is, stop following men. You all follow Christ, right? Paul was, or uh, Apollos wasn't crucified for you. Christ was. And so we follow Christ, right? So we don't have these divisions of of that sort of thing. Church, we, we, we can have unity that the world can only dream about. We can. 
We, we can have unity because we are united in Christ, because we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, because we are new creations in Christ, because we can see beyond the, the temporal, right? And to that end, if, if you've been hurt by anyone in this congregation, let me call you out to this. Go to them and, and seek to make peace with them. Don't, don't assume things. Do not assume things. Don't even assume they know this, right? Um, and I don't know, but if that's the case, do that. And don't make ungracious assumptions about your brothers and sisters in Christ. Or, or rather, if you do, if your mind go there, goes there, don't, don't live there. Don't live with those assumptions. Call them, meet with them, speak and listen and, and seek peace for the glory of Christ, for the good of the, for the body. And, and let me remind you of, of one aspect of unity that's often overlooked, and I'll just kind of throw it in here. Uh, unity requires being present together. Uh, I, I read this book recently, and it, uh, it, 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 here's what it says. It, it speaks to this. It says, uh, when, when it comes to the truly important stuff in life, there's no substitute for showing up. As inconvenienced as it is sometimes, lending our whole-bodied presence to others matters a great deal. You know, we, we as a church want you to have time for your family. We intentionally don't over-program things uh, to, to serve the community and such. But we also want to see you and your family flourish spiritually. And, and so we, we ask you to, to really, you know, consider this. See, seek making just showing up to be among the people of God a priority in your life for, for the worship service on Sunday, for the other things that, that go on, um, right? And I know, yes, social things can be incredibly awkward. I know that, right? You know that. We all know that. And, and yes, if you go watch Netflix, it's going to be way more entertainment. It just is, or entertaining. You just know it is, but your covenant family needs your presence. And you need your covenant family more than you might realize. You do. Now, before ending, I, I kind of want to drive home this point of unity with a, an illustrations of sort. When, when Laura, my, my wife, was in college, uh, she was in this really large human sexuality class. Don't worry, this isn't going anywhere crazy. Um, and, and they did this thing where they had students regarding their views on, on various sexually related ethics. They all stood up, and I don't know if they would do this today, but you had to go to one side of the room or the other based on do you think that's morally right or wrong and, and that kind of thing. And it wasn't, there's no, uh, you couldn't be anonymous, right? You're standing over there. And, and, and as they did this, um, it made this visual representation of the disunity uh, of the views in that room, right? Some of them very obvious, some of them unbalanced in, in other ways, but it just showed that. And, and I've wondered during the last 18 months about that as, as I have just I mean, honestly, unity has been on my heart because all my pastor friends, like, this is what's going on in the church. There's this, just this struggle. And, and I've thought about that. What would it look like if we as a church did that? And don't worry, you're not getting up. Um, if, if I said an idea and you just, you know, you walked at this wall or that wall or if there's three ideas, you, you head back there to show your view, right? If we, if we were like, you know, for the election, were you for Trump or for Biden or, or not voting at all? Like, but where did you, where did you fall on that? And you went different directions. If we did it in regards to the, the racial protest and riots, right? If we had ideas there and and divided it up, or for mask mandates, or against mask mandates, or, you know, public school, or private school, or homeschool, right, and, and so on and so on. We, if we did that, we'd begin to see a lot of division in this, in this room, I believe. And that's okay. 
that's okay. But, but here's my point. What, what if I then said, go to this wall if, if you know yourself to be a sinner in need of the grace of God in your life? What, what if I said, go to this wall if, if you just know you need the grace of God in your life? Or, or go to this wall if your, your faith is in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin? Go to this wall if you want to be more like Jesus. Or, or, or go to this wall if you long to see your neighbors come to faith in, in Christ. Right? If we got down to some of that, you'd begin to see that we, we have unity in Christ. We do. We're not an affinity group. Right? We're not gathered around a bunch of interest we have. We're, we're just not. Um... Okay, I, I, I want to make sure we understand that, right? I don't know. I mean, going off script, or my notes here. Um, so there, there's this thing the SBC did years ago called affinity church plants they did. And the idea was, let's just get people that agree on just about everything, and then we'll throw Jesus in the middle, and the gospel will flourish was the idea. And, and some of them worked in some regards, and in fact, that, that a church was grown. Um, but you created this one group that was really united in a bunch of other things that wasn't a, uni- a union in Christ. It was, it was all these other things, and that's not what the church is. We're, we're not united in all these other things. The diversity that we have here is a beautiful thing. We are united in Christ, what he has done for you. We are united because you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, and we have no hope apart from Christ. That's where we're united. Well, let's, let's finish up Psalm 133. The, the last sentence there says, For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The, the unity we have with each other is only because of the unity we have with God. Because Jesus upon the cross accomplished salvation for us. He, he brings us to peace with God. He makes peace with God for us as, as we are united with Christ. And, and there we begin to see this picture, right, of life forevermore life forevermore. In the final chapters of Revelation, we we learn that in eternity there's going to be no sin and no evil and no pain and no tears and no death. There's also going to be perfect harmony as we who are being sanctified day by day will be perfected and will be together with Jesus and will be together with each other forever. I mean, that's the thing about covenant community. That's the thing about the the Christian body, right? Many of you are going to move away. Many of you are going to go places. We're going to die at different ages. All these things are going to happen in our life, but we are united in Christ forever. These are eternal relationships that we have in the church. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, when when Jesus our Lord prayed to you in John 17, his, his prayer was that we, sinners whom he redeemed by his flesh, by his blood, by his death, that we would be one. That we would be unified. And so we are asking you to give us minds that desire unity in Christ today and for whatever might come into our midst in the future. We ask that you would give us unity, even if we have different interests, different opinions of politicians, different expectations of others, different ideas about education, whatever differences we have. Lord, please give us hearts that desire to love one another. Make us quick to forgive and able to hear and engage one another in the most gracious of ways. Make us joyful and faithfully united to one another as we are united to you, Lord. And we're not asking for this on the most basic level, Lord. We are asking that you would make it such an amazing unity 
that it goes unnoticeable by a divided world around us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.